Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. This might seem kind of a strange way to start out a message today, um, but I think you'll understand why in a bit. Uh, I, I read a rather interesting obituary in the paper this last week. Um, interesting because it appeared to have been written by the deceased and also because of his perspective about this life and the afterlife and and I'm going to just read a few lines of it 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 started out this way it pains me to admit it but apparently I've passed away everyone told me it would happen one day but it wasn't something I wanted to hear or experience if you're reading this then I guess I didn't get my way A little later in the um, obituary, it says, I I was born, I blinked, and it was all over. No building named after me, no monument erected in my honor. Then toward the end of it, he says this, If you want, you can look for me on the golf course. A bee buzzing around the beer cart or a mosquito by the water hazards. The obituary said something I think we all need to face and deal with. Uh, It also stated an idea that is popular but not biblical concerning the afterlife, and we, we all need to face that, that birth and death happen for each one of us, and, and you know, that means that um, if Jesus Christ doesn't ret- return within 100 years, very likely all of us will have died. Uh, we who are Christians, though, ought to also be informed about the difference between the resurrection and, and what's called reincarnation. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where, where Paul spells out the facts of history about Jesus Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection and his appearances to over 500 people. Well, Paul then goes on in this chapter to explain the significance of Christ's resurrection for us who believe in him. And this morning we're going to look at the end of that chapter where he tells us about the mystery of the resurrection. I invite you to look with me at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, begin verse 50. And would you please stand in reverence to God's word as we read. I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us pray. Lord God, as we meditate on these verses today, help us to see what you want us to understand concerning after we leave this earthly life. And Lord, thank you for the comfort that is here for Christians and also the challenge that is here for each of us. Uh, We pray in in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
These verses assume an understanding of something that Paul references earlier in the chapter in verse 24, and that is this, that at the end of time, a resurrection of the dead will take place, and Christ will then deliver his kingdom to God the Father. The Christian worldview that is laid out for us in the Bible teaches us that there's coming this day when time as we know it will end. When the risen Lord Jesus Christ will return in power and glory and usher in judgment day for all mankind. All the dead bodies in the graves will then be resurrected and reunited with their spirits. And those who have believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, those who belong to the kingdom of God, will at that point be part of the church triumphant and they will be ushered then into the kingdom of heaven. That'll be a beautiful place, uh, Garden of Eden restored, so to speak. Also described in the Bible as the New Jerusalem, a city with streets of gold. Yeah, it's kind of hard for us to imagine what that city would be like. I, I do appreciate the story told about a, a guy who uh, arrived at Heaven's Gates, and, and he was insistent on bringing his luggage with him, and they required that um, you know, the guard at the gate said, well, you're going to have to show me what the luggage is here. And so finally he agreed and he opened it up and it was full of gold coins. And the guard said, well, why are you bringing up more pavement? <laughs> well, that situation will never actually happen because you don't get to bring any luggage with you to heaven. But, but heaven will be an awesome place. It's hard for us to imagine what that would be like. We have some of that visual description in the Bible. We also have a description that includes then that we will be free from sin and all of its consequences, free from sickness and suffering and death. And we are told that we will be in the very presence of Almighty God. However, none of us will be allowed in just as we are right now. You see, we're told here flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God because perishable can't inherit imperishable. And ever since mankind's fallen to sin, all human flesh, except for Jesus Christ, has been tainted by sin. And the rest of us were all then born with this sinful nature, and that's, that means then that your body that you have here today isn't going to make it into heaven the way it is. Now, for some of us, that's really good news, um, because maybe the body we have right now, we would like to be a little bit thinner less wrinkled, uh, less achy and stiff, less bald, um, and uh, maybe not deaf and things like that. And so we were, we were hoping we wouldn't have to live in the body that we have right now in its present state for, forever, right? Well, verse 50 tells us, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God because perishable can't inherit imperishable. Perishable means subject to decay or deterioration. And just like food in a fridge lasts only for a while and then it needs to be thrown out. So our earthly bodies are useful only so long and then we must discard them. Our bodies will die, they'll rot, they'll, they are perishable. And that is true of all earthly inheritances. Now think about it. Perishable human bodies inherit perishable earthly possessions from humans whose bodies have already perished. That's what earthly inheritances are all about. But heaven is an imperishable inheritance. Its glory will not fade or decay. Its splendor and the streets of gold will be just as bright a million years from now as they will be when Christians first get there. Our perishable human bodies can't inherit imperishable heaven. 
As mortals, we are all subject to death. We weren't created to die, but death came because of our rebellion against our Creator. And all of us then daily sinned against God in our thoughts, words, and deeds, and we could expect then to pay the consequence of our sin, which is death. Death is, in some respects, then our great enemy. And when it comes for us or someone we love, we're helpless to stop it. But the fearful thing about death is not just that our earthly body will someday cease to live, but that death is really not the end for us. The soul lives on. And while the body goes to the grave to await the resurrection and judgment day, the soul lives on. And and the soul does not live on in some animal or other form here on this earth. That's the perspective of reincarnation, and that has no biblical basis whatsoever. It's hard for us to comprehend some of these things. And we try to picture our soul after it leaves the body at death, and we just don't really know how to picture this. The Bible tells us very little about this state, except to make clear to us that at death, it either enters the presence of the Lord or a place that is very separated from the Lord. And which one of those two was settled before we breathed our last breath? And that's why it's so important to make sure that things are right with God here and now and not wait till it's too late. Now back to our text here. Perishable bodies can't inherit imperishable heaven, but rather mysteriously, perishable bodies will be changed into imperishable human bodies. And I'm not talking about, you know, somehow just adding some preservatives or something so they won't perish. That might work with food, but it won't work with our earthly bodies. We're not talking about embalming, which keeps the body from deteriorating as fast. Our our only hope for these earthly bodies is that they will be miraculously changed into imperishable bodies. And that's what verse 51 says will occur. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And that that change will happen not just for us whose bodies are still alive and starting to feel some of those aches and pains of aging, but but even of those bodies that are completely dead and have been lying in the grave for a long time. When will that mysterious change take place? Well, verse 52 tells us it'll take place in a moment, uh, in the twinkling of an eye, that's as fast as you can blink, uh, just like that, we'll be changed and receive a new resurrected body. When will that happen? Well, when Jesus Christ returns in power and glory, and just when that will be, no one knows except the Heavenly Father. And we're not told much more about that here as far as when that will occur, except it tells us one other thing. It says it at the last trumpet. Last week I shared with you those verses from 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God Um, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, here it's speaking about that same time. And it's saying that this mysterious change will take place for both the bodies sleeping in the graves and for those that are alive at the time. And it says this mysterious change will happen when the last trumpet sounds. The traditional Jewish view of the resurrection was that there would be seven trumpets that would sound at various stages of the resurrection. And when the last one sounded then all the dead would be made alive again. Verse 52 sums it up there. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. What else can we know about this mysterious change? 
If you look in verses preceding what I read, uh, it, it compares it there to a wheat seed that is planted and then miraculously grows. And you know, when spring finally gets here, and it is going to come again, farmers and gardeners will then be putting these bare seeds that show, show no sign of life into the ground. And with moisture and sunlight, miraculously out of those seemingly dead seeds will come life. Now if God can do that with a seed, he can do that with a corpse. What will that resurrected body be like? Well, Paul tells us that our resurrected body will be like Christ's resurrection body. All, all of us who were physically born as descendants of Adam were born with earthly, perishable bodies. And all of us who are spiritually born again and believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior will be given resurrected bodies, heavenly bodies like Christ got when he rose from the dead. And as you think about that, he was recognizable, uh, complete with the nail scars, but his body was no longer subject to weakness. And so imagine what that would be like. Um, no longer weakness of body, no longer infection, no longer tiredness or sickness or death. When the resurrection occurs and this mysterious change takes place for our bodies, then Paul says death will be swallowed up in, in victory. You know, when you swallow something, you don't ever see it again. At, le at least not usually. Death will be swallowed up, never to be seen or experienced again. No more agonizing processes of dying to go through. No more funerals. No more grief. Death will have been swallowed up in victory. It also tells us this, that death's sting will have been taken away through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, and then rose from the grave, conquering death, and rose with a new and resurrected body, a similar resurrection can happen to us. And because of Jesus Christ, death has lost its sting. And let me explain that with, with a little story. There, there was a boy and his father they were traveling in a car. And there was a, uh, a bee that flew in the opening window. And, and the boy was high, highly allergic to bees and, and to a sting. And so um, the father knew that, and, and the boy was worried about it. He was frantically moving around the car trying to avoid this agitated bee. And the father calmly reached out and grabbed the bee in his hand. And then he let it go. The boy quickly was worried again, and the father said, Look, son, there was an implanted stinger in his father's hand. And he said, His stinger's gone. It can't hurt you any longer. You might say a little bit like that. So death has lost its sting for the believer when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. We, we no longer need to be afraid of death. For those who trust in Jesus as Savior from sin, death loses its sting. We no longer feel the full effect. For, for the believer, death no longer brings the sting of eternity in hell. The Christian's sins have been covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ. In his death on the cross, he took sin's punishment, the, the sting of death and judgment on himself. And because of that, then, those who trust in Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord can know that their perishable bodies will either die and, and go to the grave, but then rise again in a new form, or when Christ returns, they suddenly be changed into, even while they're yet alive, into a new imperishable form. And, and that'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just as 
quick as you can glance across the room, it'll happen someday when Jesus returns for his own. So then, let's ask this. What about until then? What shall we do? Verse 58 sums this up, and it says how we should live in light of these things. It says, be steadfast, immovable. Settled, not, not budging in what you believe. I think of what it means to be steadfast and immovable, and I, I cannot help but think about um, my growing up years in, in a, my grandpa's land um, that was between Mackville and Binford, North Dakota, and, and my dad took over the farming of that operation uh, when grandpa retired, and, and so we brought in a little bit bigger machinery than grandpa had been using, and, and the result was we dug up some rocks, lots of rocks actually. Some of them were so big, I remember going along and tractor weighing down and then suddenly the whole cultivator jumped up as it pulled out a big rock. And then we found there, there were even some that were bigger than that, um, th that even after digging around them with our loader tractor and whatnot and ramming them, we couldn't get them to budge. And, and so we gave up and, and we cultivated around them and built a rock pile on top of them. They were steadfast and immovable. How about you? Are, are you steadfast immovable in what you believe and in how you live, or are you more like the wind than, than a rock in your beliefs? How do you become steadfast in beliefs and convictions? Well, we need to make use of what God has given us to strengthen our faith, and that is his written word, the Bible. And, and so dig into it. Read it for yourself. Find others so you can be part of studying it together and, and praying with you and encouraging you in the faith. You and I need that if we're going to be able to stand firm in our faith as we live in this increasingly secular culture that is all around us. And in light of Christ's death and resurrection and the desperate need that this world has to hear the gospel of forgiveness of sin in Jesus that's available to them, we are to be steadfast and movable, but then also says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that is a picture then of continual action that doesn't give up even when others do. Not quitting, not becoming disheartened by our circumstances. May the Lord help us to always be abounding in his work. Not, not becoming disheartened and quitting. Not being hurt by something somebody said and just withdrawing. Not retiring from his work because the world says you're the age where you can retire from your career. But always abounding in his work. Why? Because it tells us here that your labor I like the New American Standard on this here. Your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The Lord's work is called toil. Toil is long, fatiguing effort. That's what the work of the Lord is about for every believer. Not ease, but toil. But you know, sometimes toil is worth it. And that's true for many of us in our jobs that we get paid for. It's even more true in the work of the kingdom of God. Because the Lord can use your work to bring harvest of souls into the kingdom of God. And, and you might not see it, you might not hear about it, but someday, maybe you will, your toil in the Lord's work is never in vain. And, and so parents, take that to heart. Your efforts to train your children in the things of the Lord are never in vain. Therefore, work all the harder at it. It's worth the toil. Sunday school teachers and kids club helpers, that season's winding down now. You might be tired, maybe even discouraged about something. Maybe you're thinking, this last year I'm going to do this. Well, don't make your decision right now. Would you 
pray about it before you decide what you're going to do next year. Because you, your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There are spiritual results that, that you won't see, but that are there in the lives of those that you seek to influence. Men and women that are serving on boards and committees, maybe nobody has really noticed all the work that you've been putting in. Nobody's bothered even to thank you for it. But the Lord knows. And ultimately you're serving him anyway. Your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Concerned friends of unbelievers. Your constant prayers for a lost friend or loved one. Um, you're trying to point them to the Lord. Those things are not in vain. It, it might be just around the corner that the Holy Spirit is able to break through in their life and bring them to faith in Jesus. And, and so we'll always be abounding in the work of the Lord because um, people's eternal destinies are at stake and you have what they need. And someday, that last trumpet will sound and Christ will return. It could be any time, it could be today, or it could be 100 years from now when we're all in the graves. But the important thing for each is to be ready to inherit the, the eternal kingdom of heaven. And you can be if you come to the Lord confessing your sins and, and trusting in his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that before, even today can be a day you take that step. And until Christ returns, we at Maranatha are to press on in the work, making disciples of Jesus Christ while we wait for his return. Let's pray. Lord God, we just give you thanks for this, your word that reminds us of the difference that uh, Jesus' death on the cross to cover our sins and his resurrection from the grave conquering death means for our lives here and now and for eternity. And thank you for giving us a little bit of a glimpse of what takes place when that time comes that you return for your own. And Lord, may we all be ready for that whenever that would be. Whether that comes soon or our death comes before that, we don't know. And we don't know when that would be either. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would help each of us to live in daily repentance and faith and also uh, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the folks that you have called to be a part of this fellowship. May we together unite in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, that others too would have the hope that we have. We pray in Jesus' name.